research is structured based on the outcome, right? And the outcome is the problem right now where our acute care, I broke my arm, terminal illness, we've, we have the best we've ever had. The problem is that same toolkit and approach is what's being used for chronic disease, is wait to get it and then fix it. The check mark of success is that I got rid of the thing that you're complaining about, the pain point, which isn't even the problem. That's to get a chronic condition, cholesterolemia, diabetes, breast cancer, it took 10, 15, 20 years of the wrong decisions to get there. That thing, that 10 or 15 years, whatever it is, and it's different for different people, different conditions, that's what we've been researching. Welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Walker. As a former naturopathic doctor and anthropologist, I align the intersection of personal performance, purpose, and innovative thinking in badass women working to change the world as entrepreneurs and go-getters. Anthropology is the study and science of what makes an entrepreneur think, feel, and perform in a path compelled by a vision for helping others, solving problems, while building a life on your own terms. Together, we are exploring the health, mindset, and strategies that distinguish the world's best entrepreneurs. This is the Anthropology Podcast. Welcome to episode 256 of the Anthropology Podcast. Today, we are talking about something I actually thought was just like the most fun, most interesting part of the work that I did clinically. Today, I'm going to be joined by Kashif Khan, who is the founder of the DNA Company. Uh, and he is working to revolutionize this notion of personalized medicine. And in this episode today, I'm going to talk about my own journey, my backwards journey from the diagnosis that I had as a teenager that actually informed why I decided to become a naturopathic doctor right back to that day that I had access to my own genetics and understood how all of this had unfolded for myself. You know, I really loved the opportunity to look at the genetic reports of my patients, not to understand the nuances of the tiny little genes, but to understand how when our genes have different spellings, it manifests differently for us as humans. And when we have different spellings in our genes, how that interacts with our environment and how when we know how our individualized genes are spelled, how we can behave and make choices differently in our life. Choices that will add to our longevity, choices that will decrease our inflammation, choices that will decrease our propensity for cardiovascular disease or Alzheimer's disease or cancer. A lot of my patients would say to me, Megan, I'm, I don't want to know about my genetics because I don't want to know what my destiny unfolds. But that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is this whole realm of research and science and, and clinical intervention called functional genomics. How do the decisions you make every day interact with the user manual that is unique to you? And in that user manual, like we all have, and I talk about this in the podcast, there's always those little boxes in there where it says, don't put this device in water or it's good to three meters. What this enables us to do is fully understand more about the capacity of us as unique physiological beings. It is unique insight into our potential and it's unique insight into the risk factors that are specific to us. I love this. I, lo I loved this 
That isn't even a set of words. I loved this conversation. As always, I enjoy uh, speaking with Kasha, but I, I mostly enjoy this conversation because of the potential that it carries for all of us in terms of personal responsibility for our health, but our potential as human beings. I know you are going to love it too. I'm so excited to introduce you to Kasha Khan and the DNA Company. Kashif Khan, welcome to the Anthropology Podcast. Thank you. Awesome to be here. We are going to jump into one of my favorite topics and sort of arenas of, of conversation and insight, certainly from my time in clinical practice. And that's this idea of functional genomics and your DNA and the influence of the environment on your DNA and, and what we need to know, what we can know, how this can influence our health. This is a massive topic for clinicians, an overwhelming topic I find frequently for the average consumer, um, but I couldn't think of a better person to help us unpack all these pieces. So before we do that, I'm wondering, can you give everyone some background in terms of who you are and why you're so uniquely positioned to drive this conversation with us? So I'm uniquely positioned because I have nothing to do with this industry. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I don't know anything about genetics. Best answer ever. <laughs> yeah. I came into it because of my own personal health issues. So I actually was a PR and marketing guy. We had a firm here in Toronto where we worked from you know the largest companies in Canada, Cirque du Soleil, Royal Bank, all the way down to mom and pop shop. And I got sick. I was eczema, psoriasis. I had migraines all the time. My business partner used to drive me home in the middle of the day because I would have nausea and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And all these things are being treated as separate problems with this cream and this pill and this MRI scan or whatever. And it wasn't until I, I met a friend. Actually, you know him, Bryce. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I sat down with him. I was like, what's going on with me? Like, Why all of a sudden everything screwed up? I didn't have these things before. And it got pulled and tied back down to these are spokes. These are all the your body screaming to you that there's something else going on. Right, you got to right. peel back the layers of the onion, and we did. And it was through my own genetics that I actually got to the solution, and I discovered what I, how the thing you said, the environmental, nutrition, lifestyle influences, for which my decisions were all wrong, and which is why I was getting sick. And it was there that I literally walked away from the business, gave it to the employees, and said, "You guys built this thing. Thank you. I found what I got to work on, and that's what I did." Amazing. Okay, so you founded this company, the DNA company. What is that? Like, what do you do for people? Because I feel like this concept of genetics, it's this esoteric thing. If you've heard about it, you, you see it everywhere and might still not know how to engage with it or how it can help you. And if you've never heard of it, you, you well, you probably already tuned out. But like, <laughs> what, what is the essence of the DNA company and what problem are you trying to solve? So there's what genetic, what people think genetics is, right? Which is, if I have some rare form of autism or sickle cell or some genetic condition, and even, by the way, the genetic industry thinks that's what genetic is. They, they don't know that there's more to it. So typically when you take a consumer test, it will tell you, hey, you got an 80% chance of Alzheimer's because of this marker we found. What does that mean? Like, am I, well, First of all, that means 20% with the same marker didn't get it. So you didn't actually tell me anything. right? And all you did was give me anxiety until I'm 80. So what does that do for me? Right. So, and that's the kind of information I was getting. And what is DNA? It's literally an instruction telling your cell what to do. So if it's that precise, how are we not getting precise in terms of what we're drawing out of it? So functional genomics is to understand if I'm told that this marker points to 80%, I have to dig into the biochemistry to figure out why does Alzheimer's happen, right? right. Not just the gene says maybe because 80% of people with this gene got it. 
Right. So then we go to the the biochemistry, which is here's what actually leads to Alzheimer's. And here's why this gene, and not only this gene, but a whole system, a pathway of genes will equal your 80%. Right. Then that question of why 80-20, that's the gap between the environment, nutrition, lifestyle load. Because these markers mean that your body doesn't do this thing well. You have a bad genetic instruction. So some cellular process isn't doing its job, but you weren't born with Alzheimer's, right? Something had to Mm -hmm. happen to push you over that edge, that threshold where you actually got sick. And this is the same for all chronic conditions. That's the difference between genetics and functional genetics is, hey, you got a propensity or risk. Functional genomics is here's why and here's what to do about it. Right. And I used to have this discussion all the time with my with my patients because they say, t- oh, Megan, I'm not interested. I just want to live my life. I don't want to know that I'm getting breast cancer and Alzheimer's. Right. And it's the same idea of I don't want to see a psychic who's going to read my palm or tell me what's going on. And so it was such an important conversation to have that says literally what we're opening up here is the instruction manual on how to optimize your health. And in that instruction manual, it says things like don't drop the batteries in water. And yeah. that's really what we're trying to understand about your body is we can actually read all the warning signs. So we take a lot of the of the guesswork out yeah. of what needs to needs to take place. And so I'm wondering if we can at, at a really high level just speak to some examples of people that your company has worked with and the sure. physicians and through the physicians who you work with. What does this look like in real life when we take this genetic sample when we look at we look at a report how is that actually influencing how people live their lives so i mean you brought up breast cancer as an example right and that's an area where genetically that's one of the big ones that we know about i mean angelina jolie really came out with pushing mm-hmm. that meaning not, not that she pushed it but she created awareness because she had this marker for braca which to women is a four letter word like you don't want to hear the word braca But then if you ask the woman who's scared of that word, what does it mean? They have no idea. In fact, I would argue if you ask most clinicians, what does it mean? They also have no idea. So if you have a certain variant, and this is genetics again, BRCA version, ABC, whatever version you have, one of them is a bad version, and all of a sudden you have a greater risk for breast cancer. What did Angelina Jolie do? Mastectomy. Is that really the best option for, hey, there's a risk? Because... Again, that why does the breast cancer ha- happen was never answered. It was just, you have a risk, you got to get rid of the risk. Right. So we dig into, okay, that's just the starting point. Let's figure out what does the BRCA gene do. And this example really paint a picture for people of the difference between where genetics has been failing and how do you actually dive deeper. The BRCA gene is a gene editing gene. So it goes and repairs other genes that aren't doing their job. If you had the bad version, it's not a good re- repair man or repair woman. It's not doing its job. Right. So now all of a sudden that doesn't equal breast cancer. It just means that there's certain things that are failing that aren't getting fixed. So it's the thing that's failing. You have to then go look at. So what happens with these women? You, and you would ask, why is it that most breast cancer happens in and around the menopause age? Why is that when it happens? Right. So what we found, if we now start to peel back those layers, like we talked about, that have this profile of, okay, menopausal, I'm at that age, and also I have breast cancer, typically they're estrogen dominant, meaning that that cascade, this belief of women are estrogen, men are testosterone, that's not true. It starts with progesterone, converts to testosterone, then goes to estrogen. And you can do that in many different ways, at many different speeds, paces, qualities, right? So suppose you're estrogen dominant, that's one. And we got to look at three things. So the first one is your dominance. 
too much estrogen. The second of the three things is toxicity. When you have your monthly cycle, you don't get rid of estrogen. You get, of an, get rid of an estrogen metabolite, either 2, 4, or 16 hydroxyestrogen, right? 2 is great. That's what you want. 4 and 16 are toxic. A lot of women produce these two, 4 and 16. Then you got to look at clearance. Now that we know your estrogen dom dominant is too much, now that we know you're toxic, it's not the good stuff, how are you getting rid of it? And some women don't have the right detox profile, the specific enzymes or glutathionization processes or whatever's going on there, they're not doing it well. So now you have too much estrogen, it's too toxic, and I'm not getting rid of it. It's kind of free-flowing and it's in my body. Well, as you have your monthly cycle, that's not such a bad problem because you're getting rid of it. But what happens when you hit menopause? You don't have a cycle anymore. So where is that stuff going to go? Your body's response is to store it in fatty tissue to get rid of it. Keep it away from the organs. Let's keep you safe. Where do women have fatty tissue? In the breasts. What's in the breast that was never designed to deal with that level of toxic insult? There's all these glands. And so then you wonder why is there an inflammatory load at that age that leads to breast cancer? The BRCA gene had nothing to do with any of this stuff. But for sure, a woman that has the bad version of the BRCA is not going to do a good job of cleaning up this mess, right? Then you ask, well, then why doesn't it happen to everybody? Why is it only 80-20? That's the environment, nutrition, lifestyle load. Were you on the birth control pill for 15 years? Adding even more estrogen fuel to the fire? Did you go on to hormone replacement therapy and not really understand what version or what quality or what you needed? And then all of a sudden there's more estrogen adding more fuel to the fire? Are you like one of our patients, for example, as a religious Hindu, she was a vegetarian and ate tofu almost every day, right? That estrogen load. So that's where if you put all that aside and you do everything right, even with this bad profile, you're not going to get sick, right? right? So that's the difference between this gene means you got an 80% chance of something, go get a mastectomy versus why does it happen? That's the biochemistry. And then what are the loads that would get you there faster? Let's remove those loads. And support the why part. Yeah. So I love this, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wanna, I want to break it down in another way. And I, I just want to call attention to one piece because I'm always, I feel like I'm always in the head of my listeners, and they're like, "Well, <laughs> how? Why doesn't the research show all of this?" And and I just want to speak to one notion on this, and that is, we don't when we look at population based. Uh, research related to something like breast cancer, for example, or any kind of chronic condition, we're looking across the whole spectrum of the population and we are not breaking it down right. into individualized genetic genetic profiles. And I had this conversation, my mother-in-law is a pediatric oncologist. And I'm like, tell me about the genetic profiles of kids who are developing leukemia less than five versus not. And she's like, we don't look at that. We don't right. ask about environmental exposures. We don't ask about toxicity exposures in the parents. We don't look like that is not, that's not the nature of how we have researched to this point. And so I just want to give everyone that, that context that this really, when, when we talk about genetics as the advent of personalized medicine, the opportunity here is we can look at all of that research out there. And now we're literally lifting up the hood to right. start to understand the breakdown of why we are seeing different observations. So it just enables us to be more more granular and I wanted to give everyone that that context because what I, I I want people to lean into this idea because I think there's so much potential here when we start to be able to understand more about ourselves and I'm always mindful of of I don't want people to dismiss it 
because uh, they don't understand it in the context of how we've always historically looked at at health and and medicine. So I do have a question in here now that I've played the, this context. <laughs> well, you know, what role do you see this notion of functional genomics playing in terms of future research in these arenas? And, and I'm sure it already is part of the research. And how is it disrupting the way we've traditionally looked at health sciences? So we as a company by nature are a research company. Yes, you can go buy tests from us. You can learn things. We have coaches that can help you. But our goal internally, what's happening behind closed doors is research. And what needs to be done, and this speaks to what you were just saying, is research is structured based on the outcome, right? And the outcome is the problem right now where our acute care, I broke my arm, terminal illness, we've, we have the best we've ever had. The problem is that same toolkit and approach is what's being used for chronic disease, is wait to get it and then fix it. The check mark of success is that I got rid of the thing that you're complaining about, the pain point, right. which isn't even the problem. That's to get a chronic condition, cholesterolemia, diabetes, breast cancer. It took 10, 15, 20 years of the wrong decisions to get there. Mm -hmm. That thing, that 10 or 15 years, whatever it is, and it's different for different people, different conditions. That's what we've been researching to say, okay, let's unpack breast cancer, cholesterolemia, diabetes, et cetera, and understand why do these things even happen? Right. And then based on different genetic profiles, what choices do different people have to make? Because it's not the same for all of us. You can't tell one person to go on a keto diet and, and then all of a sudden they do well. And then that what that's what works for everybody. Because we all metabolize fats differently at a genetic level. Guess what? Brown people like me actually have an insulin response from saturated fat, which Western Europeans don't. And where's all the research done on Western Europeans? Right. right? So all of a sudden the belief is that insulin is only triggered by sugar. But for me, it's also triggered by saturated fat. And a doctor would never know this and it's not their fault because they have the wrong toolkit right? right so the research where it's going to answer your question is how do you implement behavior change to reverse or prevent disease as opposed to waiting to get the disease and then masking or treating the symptom which is what we're doing right now in chronic conditions you don't need to do that you don't need to wait to be 50 and then see what's coming and then start to treat it and then spend the last 15 year, years of your life in treatment. You can predict in a five-year-old kid what are their genetic suboptimalities, right? What's coming? And then know what are the environment, nutrition, lifestyle changes that need to be made so that they don't get the disease. Right. That's the whole point. And so we are researching that right now. We are proving it clinically so that we can bring tools out that are prescriptive so it becomes sort of mainstream. Do you do much work with kids? Yeah, we so we actually are working right now on a study with sick kids around autism, and it's the exact same thing. When we think about this spectrum of all these things that fit under the umbrella of autism, about 20% of them, we believe, are an actual condition that a child is born with, which is typically genetic. There's a gene variant that equals, no, no matter what happened, this kid has this issue, right? It, it exists. 80% from our research we're finding they weren't born with it. And this is where you have that argument with parents and versus pharma versus doctor. The pharma company is actually correct that their vaccines don't cause any autistic sort of nature of issue in, in kids, right? They're, they're right in, this, in the research. But the parent is also right that that's the day my kid changed. Right. Right. They were not the same. Like The day after they've changed and they've never been the same. So what's what's going on? The active molecule that's tested in the lab, it's true. It doesn't cause a condition. 
But guess what? All of what's in that serum, the heavy metals and everything that comes along with it, sure, for some kids, no problem. But if your kid is literally missing, forget about what version, there could be missing key detox genes to clear and get rid of those heavy metals. They could be completely suboptimal in their methylation or their anti-inflammatory response. And kids are much more susceptible to neural inflammation than fully matured adults. So where are they going to get the damage that expresses and shows itself as something that we label as autism? So we've actually worked with parents to reverse. We can't get them back because it's literally brain damage. But we've been able to take kids who are punching holes in the walls, screaming at their parents to making their own breakfast, tying their shoes and going to school. Right. They're not. Yeah. So, in, in, so that's one thing I would point out. But in kids in general, we've been trying to push parents to say, understand as young as you can, because prevention, the, the earlier you start, the better it is. How are they meant to eat? How are they going to develop? Do they want to be a linebacker in football? Well, hormonally, are they even designed for that? Or do they want, do they want to be a, an accountant or an artist? Or what is it they're trying to do? How is their brain actually wired at the neurochemical level? We can actually predict when they see blood in the hospital. Do they pass out or not? Like, should they be a doctor? That's amazing. All of this stuff is genetically driven. And so that's the kind of work we've been pushing. To, and that's the most exciting work to me right now, actually, is that we've been working on this personalized parenting stuff. So anyways, that's your answer. <laughs> I think that I, I think that I think it's so fascinating. As parents, we're always talking about, I'll just actually speak to my household, but sure. we're constantly looking at how how can we invest in our kids? Like my daughter's a competitive soccer player and we're always looking at opportunities for her and my other daughter's swimming and and do these spirit amount like one we spend a fortune yeah just expanding the exposure of our children and two we very intentionally curate the things that their bodies have access to and everything from how much screen time they have to the foods they eat to the vitamins they're taking and so i asked this and and i almost feel silly like just pointing this out because it's I'm I'm now like in my spectrum of things that I can do for my kids. Having this insight seems like a no-brainer, but I'll share my hesitation I've always had. It's that I'm going to change how I parent my kids based on the blueprint that I read. <laughs> and so I'm trying to, I, that is the piece I'm, I'm trying to reconcile on this. So if there's opportunities to be able to address uh, detoxification pathways, for example, or estrogen metabolism as they move into uh, puberty, like these these things can have a massive difference Huge in impact. outcome. So all of that stuff that you just said is exactly what happens in my home. So I have three kids and I have a niece who's basically like an extension of the family, right? So she's like another kid. All of them, I have their DNA and I've hacked them behind the scenes and they're parented differently. Right? Interesting. So for example, the, our, uh, the middle kid who's six years old, drama queen, right? He, he is, and so I looked into his DNA to understand why. Is it because he imprints trauma and pain and anxiety? Genetically, it's there. Like the ability to actually experience PTSD to an exaggerated degree. That wasn't the case. So I dug a little deeper. And what it was is his serotonin. He has the absolute worst ability to manage his serotonin levels. And so his reaction to stimuli is highly exaggerated, whether positive or negative. So what teachers were saying was ADHD, which would have led to a pill, mm -hmm. was actually something that if harnessed is an extreme superpower. So what is it? Because he's, his serotonin is so dysregulated, 
He's constantly reacting to any stimuli, positive or negative. Very easy for him to get irritated. Somebody making the wrong noise, distracting him. But he'll he, he it's very easy for him to get drawn that direction. But he'll also, if there's a funny joke or somebody says something, he'll be laughing and joking. So both ways, right? right. So this appears outwardly as he can't focus. He's constantly, whatever's going on, oh, this kid said a joke, there's a noise over here, can't, and this is true. Because he's so prone to reacting to stimuli, he can't focus. But the superpower, if you understand and harness it, is that he sees and experiences detail to a much higher degree than the people around him. So when he's actually doing a project or doing work, or we're talking about something, and I notice this, that when he repeats back something that he heard, it's word for word. And he's understood it at a much higher level than the other kids because the details matter to him. So on one end, it's like, well, he's ADHD, which is not true. It's not a condition. It's actually a talent. And on the other end, when he does anything that you can actually get him focused on, and then we have to figure out how to get him focused on it, which is his reward and pleasure pathway, dopamine. So the way he experiences dopamine is his receptors, like mine, are slim to none. So it's very hard for him to experience pleasure, which makes me entrepreneurial. This is why I like to take risks and, and build a genetics company when I have no background and no, no shouldn't be doing it. Right? I know nothing about those yeah, kinds of people. Yeah. <laughs> so he, he's the same. And so we've understood there's two layers to this, getting him using his detailed superpower, but first he has to be focused. And the way you get him focused is by giving him uh, a sense of sort of risk. He has to... He has to be doing something which is more than what he did yesterday. Whatever he did already isn't good enough anymore because right. of his dopamine levels are so low. And so that's how now his work is structured and he's doing better. Right? right. Older son is the opposite. He has the maximum dopamine receptors. So I always used to have conflict with him where I would see things like this, 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 regimented, da, da, da. And he's more like artistic, high level, like big picture and we couldn't make things. And then I understood it's because his dopamine levels are so high. He's constant, He's like satisfied by whatever's going on anyway. He doesn't need that hit or that reward. Right. But when he finds the thing that he gets pleasure out of, he'll binge. And he'll come back with a stack of paper like this. Like, how did you do that work? Right. right. So now we know how to work with him. And this is, and we're speaking about children, but imagine knowing this about yourself also. Right. Well, I will. So one, I'm just going to commit. My whole family is going to do this in January so that we've got like full spectrum insight. So that's the first piece. The second piece, and I selfishly, I'm like, I have all my genetic information, <laughs> like all of it. And it has made a huge difference for me. And, and I'll just speak to that for a second. So people have a, have a sense of what this looks like. When I was in high school, I was diagnosed with endometriosis and I had a series of surgeries around this. It was like a very estrogen dominant condition. And all we had was like symptoms to go on. And then literally a laparoscopy and surgery to make that diagnosis. And we got little glimpses of it through blood work and inflammatory markers through my whole life. But that was it. It was really like reaching into a black bag, trying to yeah. guess what, what we should do. And some people have success with this and some people try to do this. And so it, I worked backwards off of this. I didn't have my genetics to move forward through these, these pieces. And then we got into more functional testing like we'd see with functional medicine. And we'd see these huge markers of, of DNA, like DNA damage and destruction and inflammation. I was always so 
so surprised. I was like, come on, I'm doing all the right things. And all of these markers are, are off the charts. And then moving back one more step, when I did have the opportunity to have sort of my genetics looked at and profiled and sat down with Dr. Mansoor Mohammed, and I walked in the door and he's like, we need to talk. We need to talk <laughs> about your estrogen pathways. Like we talked about this dangerous 4-hydroxyestrone and it's like off the charts right. for me. And I can't clear anything. Like I can't clear anything. And so when we look back at all of these pieces, I'm like, of course, all of these elements make so much sense. And what was really neat for me being able to look at my genetics is I knew exactly then what I needed to take to be able to start to alter and shift these these pathways. And all of those downstream manifestations started to change. So it's literally, you're looking at the architecture uh, of your house and you're enabling yourself to make the best guesses as to where you cut into the wall or where you tweak the pipe or where you go looking for things rather than being like, well, most houses have the pipes here. Yeah, exactly. So let's, yeah. let's guess, let's guess there. So I, I just want to speak to the, the influence that it had in terms of uh, my own health and my own health insight. And I do like, I did this stuff for a living. I like dug into walls for a living before I was able to leverage uh, the insight of genetics. So yeah. Yeah, super for sure. helpful. For super sure. Helpful. And that I, I would say, speaking of that, that the number one area where we feel we have the biggest impact is in female hormone health. And there's a couple of reasons. One is because the experience sucks so bad right now. If you talk to any woman about what's going on with, well, it's your hormones. You're supposed to have problems. That's kind of right. the answer. Right. And it's how do you just manage those problems and learn to live with it? Whereas, and it's treated as very gray, meaning we don't really know, we, we know how to treat the conditions. We'll cut you up and give you a pill like you experienced, but we don't really know why this stuff happens. So it's that taking that gray and making it very black and white. Right. And the way you just described, it was literally two things. It was estrogen yeah. toxicity and a lack of clearance. Very simple, very black and white. If you understand the why, why do these things happen? So that gap between how bad it sucks and how easy we make it has really that's one area why I think it's the biggest impact. But the second thing is just there's so many problems that women experience where you're now going to a healthcare system that was designed on research on men. And you're supposed mm -hmm. to be basically a, a man without men genitalia. And that's supposed to help you. It's, it's completely different and it has to be treated as different. And that, that's where I find that we've had the biggest wow factor for us. Yeah, I call the other way hope for the best medicine where we have research and we try to extrapolate it. And honestly, it's the most, I think it's just the most unsophisticated uh, spectrum of medicine where basically the panacea of all premenopausal women is we'll just put you on the birth control pill. You can just yeah. take that for 30 years and all of your problems will be will be solved. And for some people that might be the solution that they that they choose. This is just a really poignant time to point out that there is a there's a unique opportunity to actually just deal with it at that at that root cause level. Because if you just if you just band-aid it that pathway is still executing. That inflammation it's is still, still happening. Doing, that yeah. still, lack of clearance is still taking place. You're just not seeing the manifestations of it. So it's kind of like the flood in your basement and you just close that door and put in some sandbags. Yeah. The flood has not stopped. We just bought ourselves some time. So there's, there really, I want to just sort of dispel the, the fear that some people have around understanding the genetic piece. I, it's hugely empowering. Yeah. And uh, you make me think of a story of my niece, Speaking of children, right. when you mentioned the birth control pill, so she's 13 and this will really paint a picture because so many young women have similar issues that are just being treated so poorly 
literally, so when we met in Arizona, right? just so everyone knows, we've known each other for some time, but we kind of bumped each. First of all, I was sitting on the plane, looking at the back of your head, <laughs> trying to figure out what movie you were watching. And I didn't know who you were at the time. I just saw the back of your head. Then we ran into each other at the hotel. I was like, hey, Megan, oh, you're here. Then when you walked past and I saw the back of your head, I said, she was sitting in front of me in the plane. <laughs> Anyways, so at that event, I actually told this story. And there was a couple women who actually started crying because their daughters, two of them, by the way, their daughters had the same issue. And they realized mm. this was the answer. So, right. And it comes down, again, the birth control, which actually in this case was the solution, by the way. So my niece... Last year, yeah, last year about this time, she had an anxiety attack. She was 13. She's now 14. And she, my mom called me. My mom, my sister, and my niece live together. And so I went over there and they said she can't breathe. She's not feeling right. So I called the pediatrician friend who's actually one of our investors who we work with in research. And he said, yeah, it sounds like a classic anxiety attack. Do you want something? Do you need help? I said, well, she seems okay now. He said, if it happens again, let me know. So it did happen again. And that time she actually collapsed, fell over and she hurt herself. So my mom said, can you come take her somewhere? So again, call my pediatrician friend. He got me into some, into an emergency clinic to sort of look at her because they thought she had broken something in her leg. She couldn't walk properly. We spent eight hours there, which is to the Americans listening. This is Canadian healthcare. (laughs) It's free. It's not always that bad, but yes. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's free, but we spent eight hours there. And they, there were scans, there was tests, they looked at the anxiety, they looked at the leg. The net result of the eight hours was, if it happens again, let us know. Same answer as first time, right? And at that point, I knew what that meant was, if it happens again, she's going on an anxiety pill, right? Because this right. is what we're calling this thing. So, and then I slapped myself, I said, stupid me, this has been a couple months of this thing and I haven't looked at her genetics yet, which I had in my hand. So I started looking at it and I realized that she had... There was a hormonal thing going on where there just wasn't enough hormones, right? And then there was a dopamine thing going on, like me, same family, not enough dopamine. There was a vitamin D thing going on. And I toyed with it. I didn't do much. And I started thinking about it. Then again, my mom calls. And my mom calls and says that I found a note. Your niece has left. I said, what do you mean left? And she's like a sweet, innocent girl. Like She doesn't go anywhere by herself. She said she said she can't take it and she's left. So she couldn't even write the words like run away from home because that's too much for her to say. So I got over there and my mom's in an apartment building. And so I found my niece like standing outside because that's for her already far enough. So I asked her, what's going on? Is someone bullying you at school? Like, is it online? Like what's actually happening? And I realized she had no clue. Like she was just so Mm -hmm. screwed up and she was just running away from that space. You just need to get out. So I then it triggered and it hit me and I said to my mom, wait a second, you've been calling me like clockwork every month. Can I like, so we went back to the text and I look at the dates and it was literally like clockwork every month. I said, can you tell me on these days what was happening with her cycle? And she said, yeah, it was just starting. It was the beginning every time. Right. Right. Which is for a woman, the lowest point of your estrogens and she's already low. So, Then I really dug in and that month that I had her genetics in my hand and didn't do much about it. I was just thinking and toying with it. I really dug in because now there was a starting point. Right. So hormonally, she was already screwed up enough and now she's experiencing this bottom. Normally, so that nothing happened before. Why all of a sudden now? 
Why did it start now in winter 2020? Because she was being homeschooled because of COVID and had zero vitamin D. She never left the house. Hmm. So this problem of the hormonal issue, right. which she's not doing the best, wasn't triggering a response because it wasn't crossing that threshold of a problematic area, the red zone, the problem area. So now it's getting close to there. But the lack of vitamin D, of the 22,000 genes in your body, 2,000 require vitamin D to function. That's how important it is. And this is why it's the immunity vitamin, the everything vitamin, your brain vitamin, it does everything. So now you compound the fact that she had the hormonal issue, zero vitamin D because she was homeschooled. And it was at that time, right before the cycle, that now that combination right. was enough was to, de to destroy her. And she was having this crazy anxiety issue. On top of that, like me, she had no dopamine. So the expression of this problem equaled anxiety because what was the mental health trigger is that I just don't feel pleasure. I don't feel enjoyment. And so everything's horrible. So hormonal thing driving her down, vitamin D made it worse. And how did the brain express it? Anxiety, depression type thing because she was already close to that because of her dopamine levels. Right. So she would have been on a pill, an anxiety pill. Instead, I gave her L-theanine for the dopamine right? She did temporarily as an emergency get on a birth control pill to adjust her hormone levels. She's not on it anymore. It was just like a quick fix. And then we adjusted prior to her cycle, five, six days before she would go on 10,000 IU of vitamin D. And then in the cycle, she would be 5,000 and then like a 2,000 maintenance. Hasn't had the issue since. It's amazing. Yeah. Three months back to back. It's now been a year. You have to read the instruction manual. Yeah. You have to know. You have to, you know. have to know. What do you see the future of functional genomics being for the average person and how it's going to influence their health? So we think genetics is going to play a part in everything you do. And it's not just because of the work we're doing. It's because of the work other people are doing. It's literally your, your, it's your ID. It's who you are in terms of your health. Right. So it hasn't been actionable where clinicians know what to do with it other than the sort of rare genetic conditions. So you can go order whether Canada or the U.S. anywhere screening tests for rare things, but you can't prevent chronic disease. That's what the gap is. What's happening in the U.S. is because healthcare costs are so crippling and it's the employers that are now paying the bill, you have some somebody that's highly motivated to bring costs down. Mm-hmm. So the employees, it's literally, I think it was Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, and Diamond, that, that bank CEO that got together and said that the single biggest cost crippling American business is healthcare, and we got to figure out how to fix it. So you all of a sudden have companies that are saying that I pay for insurance, but I'm also going to spend $10 million on this diabetes reversal program because I don't want to pay for insulin for the next 10 years for each employee. Right. And you also all of a sudden have programs where they're saying, here's a mental health digital therapeutic, an app, as opposed to a drug where you can speak to a coach that's going to unpack and unravel why are you having this issue. So you're already seeing the beginnings of let's reverse or prevent as opposed to wait and treat. Right. What's missing from that is the personalization. It's still one size fits all. It's still trial and error. So the personalization only will come from DNA. And so that's the work we're doing. And I think one at a time, female hormone health, cardiovascular, diabetes will, will perfect, optimize, get them out there. And all of a sudden, it will become the standard. You, go to, you don't know who I am. 
you're going to give me something without first understanding how I metabolize it. You're going to give me a, a mental health drug without knowing, and it's so easy, here's the six or seven genes that metabolize the different drugs, and I don't want to go through trial and error of eight of them first. Right. Give me the one that I actually need. Right. That's going to become standard of care. Right. And, and it's, it's all, this is already happening in certain cities, certain states, certain companies. It's just, how do you get it to everybody? It's going to get there. What does an experience look like when, when people work with the DNA company? I think a lot of us have, who are interested have tried out 23andMe. We're like, oh, right. I, I know who my ancestors are. When I got three health hits, what, what is different about an experience working with you? So, we, so because there's so much we could potentially tell you, what we did was we packed up, like, what are the things that people need to know? So you're going into this saying, this sounds amazing, but I don't really know what questions to ask. So there's a ton of data, but data is dumb until you talk to it the right way and ask the right questions. So what we did is we, and this is one thing I should take a step back and tell you, the reason why we're able to interpret the way we are and give you the insights we do is because Rather than doing what genetic testing companies do, which is let's study the DNA and to see what the DNA is saying, we studied people. So for the past three years, we've studied almost 7,000 people, one by one by one by one, so that we can truly at a personalized level understand what's that person's problem, what's that person's problem. And all of a sudden you start to see trends. And right. this is where we went from in female hormone health. We thought there may be an infinite number of possibilities. How do you ever get that into a doctor's hand? right, where they have to sort of be able to prescribe things, we unintentionally figured out that there's only six different types of women hormonally. You always fit into one of six buckets. We didn't know we were going to get there, right? So but that's not me. I'm so different. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. So the, the middle two are optimal and don't even need anything, right? It's the outside right. two that have issues and it's they're just an extreme version of the, that profile. So... So just like that, that's been happening for many of these things, mental health, diabetes, et cetera. We've been learning these profiles as opposed to this gene. Right. So we've now bucketed these six reports that are what we think everybody needs to be version 2.0 of yourself and to be optimized. And those six reports are cardiovascular because that's the biggest killer. It's the number one sort of healthcare cost. And it's the easiest thing to prevent if you knew why it happened. So that, right. which includes diabetes, hypertension, cholesterol, et cetera. Mood and behavior, which is the biggest report. So everything about your neurochemicals. If I have your DNA, I don't need to meet you to know exactly how you deal with stress, trauma. Do you procrastinate? Are you reward-seeking? Are you irritable? All this stuff. It's all pre-wired up here. Diet and nutrition. So at a personal level, how do you handle micronutrients, macronutrients? Are you a fat metabolizer? Should you be a vegan? There's certain people before we tell them vegan diet is a bad idea for you. And it's clear. And for some people, great. Go do it. Right? right. Then there's fitness and hormones. So everything about body type, meaning how do I put on muscle? How do I burn fat? How do I take care of my hair, my skin? Like what is my body, what are my cells, my, sorry, my DNA telling my body to do in terms of its physical appearance? That's all. So now you can take that and say, here's my goal. I know now how to get there. Those plateaus that we hit, it's because we're doing something that we saw on YouTube or a trainer told us do that was designed for somebody else's body. Right. Right. Now do what your body needs. So that's the fourth one. Then there's immunity, detox, and inflammation. So everything about the health of the cell, which is where disease starts. If you understand how to keep your cells healthy, you're not going to get inflammation, which means you're not going to get disease. And the last one is sleep. 
So we all understand now that sleep is so important, but I can't sleep at night isn't good enough. It's I can't fall asleep or I do fall asleep, but I wake up in the middle of night and then I just can't get back to sleep or I sleep, but I wake up not feeling rested. Genetically, these are three different things. And we've understood why these things happen and how to coach you through them. So our sort of flagship product gives you these six reports. But beyond that, there's some people that want to dive into clinical level stuff where we have health coaches that you can book time with and you can, hey, I want to, my mother had breast cancer. I'm worried. I want to work on this. And that's where we can dive deep at a scientific level. I love all of that. And I would be remiss if I didn't also ask this question, which is, what happens with respect to that genetic material and privacy? Because I think it was a big blow for a lot of people with 23andMe that they're like, oh, and by the way, thanks so much. We're now going to develop drugs with your DNA. (laughs) And I think people felt really betrayed. I mean, even if a number of us were kind of like, what's going to happen here? Um, I I think people really felt betrayed by that that piece. That is like a dirty secret of the genetic industry. Not that data is sold. Everyone knows that. It's why is it sold? Right. So the the problem with our business, like the, the actual business, is that you only need to test someone's DNA once. Yeah. It doesn't change, yeah. right? So everyone said, hey, genetics, let's invest, let's do this. And then all of a sudden, you sold somebody one test and the investors start to say, well, this sucks. Yeah. So And that's where all these genetic testing in the companies started to say, well, we need way more ways to make money. And the first customer was pharma. And pharma said, give us the data. And that led to this evolution of where we're at now, where these tests don't give you, like you said, you you got your report and it gave you a couple of healthcare things that you never right. even used. Because yeah. the yeah, the the report was not designed around how do I give you the most information? It was designed around how do I collect the data that my customers already committed to pay me. Right. You know, if you the 23andMe is a big investment round that happened, I think it was 2018 or 19, they raised $300 million from Glaxo. Glaxo's with Klein, right? One of the biggest farmer companies in the world. Why did they give them $300 million? And then all of a sudden there's billboards all over Times Square because they were willing to buy all the data. So now you have a product that is designed for a purpose and that purpose is how do I collect what that backend buyer needs who's paying me a lot more money than the buyer the test is paying. So we said is we don't want to do that. Because first of all, people don't want that. Second of all, we're never going to get the outcome. We know that there's so much value here. Mm -hmm. But if we end up being in the data selling business, we have to build a different product that's not going to deliver the value. So instead, we became a data mining company. We built our own artificial intelligence program that mines the data to give you the best insights. And our belief is if we wow the people in terms of what we're giving them, they'll stick with us to buy additional reports, to buy products and services, to buy supplements, to get into coaching. Our, and everything that's done there, it just makes the experience even better. Because all of a sudden, if I have your DNA and we're looking at estrogen toxicity or we're looking at your cardiovascular profile and we're recommending a product, we're recommending what your DNA is prescribing. Right. We're not just going to Shoppers Drug Mart or CVS and pulling something off the shelf. We're saying this was actually made for what, and it's not made to mask the symptom. Using sleep as an example, what do people typically take for sleep? They take melatonin. Well, if you look at my son, for example, who has extreme serotonin dysregulation, melatonin might knock him out, but he's still going to wake up in the middle of the night because melatonin is your go-to-sleep chemical, but serotonin is your wake-up chemical. And if you're ultra-sensitive, then any light, any noise, any shuffle of the blanket any smell 
that stimuli will wake you up. And then when your serotonin is released, what you produce as you wake up, your body thinks it's wake up time and you can't get back to sleep. So that specific genetic profile needs a very specific solution. And we believe that if we get to that granular level and actually support, supply and support that solution, we don't need to be in the data selling business, right? We can, we're, we're in the life-changing business. That's, that's what we want to do. It's amazing. And as you do more of this, you're going to pull more data out of that report. You're going to be able to constantly provide people with yeah. more and more just, insight. We can get more and more better and better. Yep. granular. I absolutely love it. I feel like this is the perfect place to transition the interview because if I don't, we're going to do this all day long because it's so <laughs> fascinating. It's so interesting. I'll just share that. Like I, I've used genetic testing in my practice. I just I love the insight as a as a clinician, and most importantly, the test for me as a clinician is: Do I get better results when I have this information? I don't right. want to send people for any type of testing if it doesn't influence the outcome uh, that I'm trying to have with patients. And more than anything else that I did in practice having this insight influenced better outcomes, which is why I'm so passionate about it and why I could talk to you all day if I didn't ask you these <laughs> questions. So at the end of all of my interviews, I've got a series of questions that I, I throw to my guests. And the first is, it's, it's been an interesting time these yeah. last, last few years. What is the biggest lesson you have taken away from the last year? Uh, well, we've learned even more than we've already believed that Chronic disease is truly optional if you understood why it happens. And the things that happened in the last year have taught us that the people that we're relying on for the solutions aren't thinking that way. Right. And so mm -hmm. we have to, if you want to be healthy as opposed to manage your illness, you have to take control and charge yourself. Unless you're blessed to have found that clinician that happens to think that way, mm -hmm. it's difficult. Uh, and it could be expensive because they may not be reimbursed by the people that reimburse. So you're paying out of pocket. So that that's a big one for us. What we believed to be true is just even so much more true. And we also see that it's just not, if you see the solutions that have been provided for the big problems we've had in the last year, nobody's thinking that way, right? There's stuff that's right under your nose that you could have done that anyways, that's my belief. <laughs> Podcast number two. Uh, second question for you. What is your favorite health habit? Like the one you are most committed to in your own life? Yeah, I, I would say the thing that I would say that I immediately see the up and down the roller coaster is food. Diet for me. And right. the healthier I get, the more I see that roller coaster. Because it's so the ability to stay healthy, stay mentally acute energy levels, sleeping the right amount, all that stuff. The day that I eat bad or don't eat enough or eat too much, I see the impact the next day and it lasts a few days. I've just become more sensitive to that. So then some people say, well, let's just keep eating horrible because then you're not sensitive to it anymore, right? <laughs> so I, I think <laughs> those, I've just gotten... Those just, people can go to their own happy bad food island. <laughs> I, and I have people like that in my family who actually believe that we need to feed the kids sugar so that they build up a sugar immunity. Right. Oh, okay. That, okay. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. literally what they say. So, anyways, <laughs> yeah. I I find that that's the one thing that now that if I manage it, I feel so good because I've gotten myself to a place where I think the health. I'm in 42. I'm in better health than I was at 22, and I'm okay. I'm certain of that. Right. And it, the 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 way I feel now, that's the one thing that for sure will create that fluctuation for me. Amazing. And last question for you. 
which is going to be so interesting given our conversation, entrepreneurship. Are we yeah. born this way or do we learn to become entrepreneurs? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I am the perfect case study for that. Right. Because growing up, my father always reminded me how I'm not a, an entrepreneur or a business, but I came from an ancestry of business people, right. entrepreneurs, right? And I was timid, very shy. I was just overly polite. I would make an effort to keep my voice lower, just not, that's who I was. And my father's like, how are you going to do anything? Right. So now that's park that for a second. My neural wiring I have the absolute lowest dopamine binding receptors, which we talked about, which right. means I experience pleasure and reward to the minimal degree. Right. So when something happens, that's tasty pizza, do something good at work, I feel a way down here. I have the fastest MAO gene, which then starts to break down the dopamine to get it ready to metabolize. Right. So as I'm experiencing, I'm already breaking it down. I have the fastest comped enzyme, which sweeps that broken metabolite out. So I feel it down here and it lasts like that which gives me three potential outcomes. Depression, because I just don't feel. Addiction, because I go down the pleasure route and feed it. Right. Or achievement, because I go down the reward route. Right. So what happened? At a very young age, my father actually passed away. And I had to take care of the family. And so I started working. And I really liked the achievement. And I pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. So the nurture and nature, there was both. I, I am designed, I have what's called warrior genetics, right? Like I'm literally designed to fight and strive and achieve Right. <clears throat> my brain. And there's other layers of chemicals that speak to this, but we are in, in how we speak to profiles. I fit in the warrior bucket that got triggered because of my context. My father passed away. I was always told about entrepreneurialism. So I may have gone down the addiction route. If I was, if life was good, Right. And I didn't have a need to strive and fight. And I was, I may have gone, or I may have gone down the, the depression route because nothing was good enough. If I, I was born up, if, sorry, if I, if I grew up wealthy, for example, which I didn't, I probably would have ended up in depression because everything would have been handed to me and there was no, there was no, nothing to fight for. Right. Right. I probably would have had constant depression. So it's both your innate wiring you can understand. But again, that load that gets put on it is what causes the expression of whatever happens, right? And that's what led me to who I am. I'm never going to be able to ask this question the same way. <laughs> I'm going to have to be like, do I know your genetic profile before I answer this question? It's, it is. It's so, it's so fascinating. It is such an interesting uh, topic. Kashif, where can we send people to learn more about the DNA company? And I know we also have something in the show notes uh, for people as well. For sure. Yeah. And so it's just the DNA company.com. Uh, so the website's there. There's a couple of videos. If you want to see what the reports look like, I think you put in your email address and they send you sample reports. So you can take a look there. But it's all it's literally on our website. There's two products. The test and there's this $5,000 program, which some executives and athletes do. There's a marketplace that's launching, I think, actually within this week, which is a whole bunch of other things are going to be available. But it's there. The 360 report is what we've been talking about this whole right. time. And yes, there's a note there to make sure everyone that's listening gets a discount. 
Fantastic. So we're going to have all of this in our show notes. You can find those at meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. Kashif, it is an absolute pleasure to see you again and chat with you. Thanks so much for being here. No, it was awesome. Love talking to you. I told you this was a good one. We just kept talking because it was so, so fascinated. I will follow through on my commitment to have the genetic profiling done of the rest of my uh, family in the new year so that I can enable that to make uh, better and more informed choices with respect to our family and our kids individually and definitely for our own health. As we mentioned at the end of the interview, if you are interested in this as well, you can head on over to our show notes, meganwalker.com forward slash podcast. We have a special discount code for you there to be able to access genetic testing for you or for your uh, family. And as always, we are going to carry on this conversation over on Instagram. So if you are so inclined, you want to see how all of this starts to uh, unfold, you can follow me over at Dr. Megan Walker on the gram. Until next week, I wish all of you an impactful week ahead and we will chat again next Tuesday. 